0: see in the next few moments, and I certainly don't, uh, don't want to cause anyone undue pain. So uh, please just participate uh, as much as you feel comfortable doing so. I've been thinking about this morning how to frame these questions that I want to ask you to start off with. Um, and so just, just bear with me for a moment, um, and, and I'll ask it like this first. Um, let's say it like this. If you know Anyone, your family, friends, co-workers, fellow students, anyone in your circle has ever had to face cancer, has dealt with cancer, will you raise your hand? Is that, is that every hand, just about every hand? Should be. If you've ever lost anyone that you cared about to cancer, raise your hand. That's what I thought. I thought it would pretty much touch everybody in the room, and it looks like that it does. So let me ask you this. What if you had the cure? Can you imagine that? Just for a moment, think about that. It doesn't matter how it came into your possession, but just imagine that the cure for cancer, the knowledge that would eradicate cancer, has come to you. What would you do with it? What would you do with it? See, I, I think I know. But I wonder, how many people would you tell? Would you just share it with your spouse? Your children, grandchildren? Maybe some close friends? You know, maybe the coworkers. I mean the ones that you actually like, not the ones you just <laughs> tolerate. Or would it be your goal to get that cure into the hands of every person in the world? See, I think I know. Would you be reluctant to share the cure? I mean, people might think I'm weird if I start talking to them about a cure for cancer, people might think I'm insensitive. If I start talking about a cure, I mean, after all, every person has the right to find their own cure for cancer in their own way, right? So, what would you do? See, I, I, I think I know. I think I can say confidently, without fear of contradiction, that if anyone in this room had the cure, that we would do everything in our power to share it with the world. Am I wrong? I don't think so. We spent the past month talking about becoming a dangerous church. And in this final message, I want to make sure that we know that the most dangerous thing we can do, the most kingdom potent thing we can participate in, is investing our lives in the lives of other people and inviting them to be a part of what we do here. Now, somebody's out there going, my goodness. I mean, what a change. Last week, Pastor, we were singing hokey pokey. And this week, you got me thinking about disease and death. Well, I ain't pretty, but I'm versatile. (laughs) But listen to me. We're dealing with something far more serious than cancer and I don't mean to diminish the experience of any of us or what we've experienced in ourselves or in our families or those that we've lost, but we're dealing with something that doesn't just destroy the physical body, that doesn't just snuff out physical life. We're dealing with something that is the cause of eternal suffering. We're dealing with a disease that is a sickness of the soul that can separate us from God forever. And we have the cure. you and I. We have the cure, the good news that Jesus saves and forgives and shows us the way to heaven. We've got that. Now, what will we do with it? I'll tell you, I wish I was as confident about the answer to that question as I am to the question of what we do with the cure for cancer. It's so important for us to be dangerous. <laughs> it's so important for us to be outwardly focused and be willing to do anything short of sin to help people who don't know Christ experience God's love, sometimes for the first time in their lives. And I believe the best way we can do that is to learn to invest our lives in the lives of people and then to invite them to a place where they can experience God's love for themselves. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, Just one little short verse there to get us started this morning. (coughs) As a little verse again, but it's power packed. Colossians 4 verse 5 says this, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. This morning, I want us to look at how to make the most of every opportunity. I I want us to look at seven components of invest and invite and what it means to do that, how to do that. and I want us to see four investments that are worth making and three invitations that are worth extending. And I told you, this, this is not an overwhelmingly inspirational message, at least it doesn't appear that way to me. Our experience may be something very different. I have a sense that the Lord has moved here this morning in our worship, and that almost always carries over into our time in the Word. But let God speak to your heart. Let Him show you the power and the importance of investing your life in the life of another and inviting them to experience God. Here's the first investment worth making. Serve other people with kind actions serve other people with kind actions. It sounds simple, but you know it's really very countercultural, isn't it? When's the last time someone was really kind to you? I'm not talking about in here. I'm talking about out there, okay? In your everyday real world. The chances are you recall quite clearly the last time someone was extended kindness to you. They were kind to you. You know why you remember it? Because it's so rare. We live in a culture with a with a kindness deficit. The idea of kindness goes against the grain in almost every part of our society. That's why we take note of when someone was kind to us. And let me tell you something else. Just think how many people out there will notice when we are kind to them. Kindness makes an impact. What if we just began to serve others with with such kind actions that we created a culture of kindness in our community? That's what the Bible calls us to. That's how the Bible calls us to live out our faith among those who are not yet believers. In Ephesians chapter four, verse thirty-two, Paul writes: "Be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you." Now, if you look that passage up, circle the word "kind." It comes from a Greek word "kresto" that means to do good, to assist, to help. And in fact, when Jesus said, my yoke is easy, the word for easy there is Cresto. My yoke, Jesus said, is easy and my burden is light. What that means to us is that being kind means making life easier for other people. Doesn't kindness do that for you? Kindness most often touches us at a point of need. We need help. We need assistance. Someone extends kindness to us. It makes life easier. Easier. That's what we're called to. There's power in kindness. Steve Shogren is kind of the modern day guru of the kindness movement in the church, servant evangelism. And he says this, small things done with great love can change the world. I really believe that's true. I hope it's true because the reality is that most of us are never going to be able to do great things, notable things, you know, big things that, that, that get us nominated to be Time Magazine's Man or Woman of the Year. Sorry, it's just not going to happen. You know, one of the saddest days of my life was when I turned 35 years old. You know why? Because I realized that while I was old enough to be president, I was probably never going to be. <laughs> but every one of us, every day, can do small things. And I believe when those small things are are replicated hundreds of times, thousands of times, over and over, they can change the world. See, I've got this idea rolling around in my head that we really can, that it's possible for us in this place today to decide to create a culture of kindness in our community. What if we just became the kind of people who went out of our way to serve others every day with kindness and kind actions? Think about it. I don't know for sure, but in this room we've got, what, 80, 90 adults? What if we multiplied that out by seven days over the next week and every day one of us served one other person each day? At the end of a week, we would have served 600 people. At the end of a month, we did it every day, 2,600 people. At the end of a year, 31,200 people would have been served, touched with kindness. You think that would have an impact on our community? You think that would make a difference? So, if the idea of serving over 30,000 people during the next year with acts of kindness kind of makes your heart beat a little faster, on the back of your Connect card, will you just write the word kindness? And that'll let us know that we need to communicate with you and we need to get you involved. We need to help you become one of those dangerous people who are creating a culture of kindness. And even if that doesn't pique your interest, how about over the next week you look for ways to serve people around you? You look for ways to extend kindness to people who are not yet believers. Serve them with kind action. That's an investment worth making, folks. And there's a second investment worth making. And that is to speak positively about your church. Speak positively about your church. I, I think speaking positively about the church points people to God rather than pushing them away. It's popular today to talk down the church. I don't know if you notice, but anytime something bad happens in a church, it makes headline news. It, it just seems like the, the society has its eye peeled for anything a church might do that can be seen in a negative way. It can be broadcast in a negative way. And you know what that does? It drives a wedge. It drives a wedge between the church and between people who, they're open to God but they're not yet believers. That's why I think it's important for us to overcompensate for that negativity. Speaking negatively about the church, even if we're with other Christians, is just a bad idea for one very important reason. The Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. What, isn't that interesting language? What a beautiful way to describe the relationship between God and the church, between Christ and the church. Imperfect though it may be. And it is imperfect. And you know why? Because you're here. Don't get mad. It's imperfect because I'm here too. And this is where Ron says, Amen. Imperfect as it may be, the church is the bride of Christ. And when we hear someone speaking negatively about the church, that's like somebody coming up to me and saying, hey, you know, Scott, I kind of like you. I mean, I I think you're an okay guy. But man, I can't stand your wife. That's what it's like. And let me tell you something. If somebody does that, I'm a pastor. I'm one who likes to extend mercy and grace and forgiveness to people. But there's about to be a fist fight. And I'm not joking. You can say what you want to say about me, but don't you ever say anything about my wife. You think you want to open your your mouth and criticism about my wife, I will close it for you. I'm not joking. And yet people will... Run down the church. People will talk about the bride of Christ. We need to be careful what we say about the church. We, we need to make sure that our words are an encouragement for people to, to come here, to come in, rather than words that drive them away. Ephesians, again, chapter 4, verse 29 says, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Hey, folks, we can apply this in every area of our lives, in every situation in our lives. At home, at work, at school, wherever we happen to be. Is the way that you talk an encouragement to people or a discouragement to them? Are the words that we say good and helpful? Speaking positively about the church is an investment in those who don't attend church. I just want to encourage you to be careful about hanging out with people who like to bash the church. Some people make it their goal in life to go around bashing the church. It's easy to do. But here's what I've learned as a pastor. If somebody comes to Jubilee because they don't like something about their old church and they're talking down their old church, it's just a matter of time until they find something they don't like about this church. If they have enough gall to run down and talk about the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, it won't be anything to them to run down me and you. Watch yourself around those kind of people. When we're, especially when we're around people who are not believers, we need to speak positively about the church we need to encourage them toward christianity and toward jesus speaking positively about the church is an investment worth making here's another one here's another investment worth making warmly welcome guests at church warmly welcome guests at church we've killed a word here at jubilee we've killed the word visitor we no longer have visitors Visitor is an outsider. We have guests. The church is a family expecting guests. You know, if you'll begin to think that way, it'll help you to understand a little better. It'll help you think through some of the things that we have changed, some of the things that we will change, that uh, that will change in the future. We're doing it because we're expecting guests. This is not just a little insider club and the visitor can come and kind of stand on the fringes or look through the window and maybe not be a part but be here. We're inviting guests into our home. Now, when we do that, when we're expecting guests at our home for dinner, let's say, there are some things that every one of us will do. We'll make sure the place is clean, right? I mean, first of all, we'll make sure the house is presentable. Then we'll plan a menu and we'll plan that menu with food and drink and dessert that we think they will like, right? I mean, it's not just, this is what we're having, take it or leave it. We try to think with our guests in mind, what will they like? When they come to our door, we welcome them warmly. We make them feel at home. Isn't that right? We let them have the best chair. Oh, no, no, don't sit in that chair. That's mine. You can sit over here. Would you imagine doing that to a guest in your home? Would you imagine objecting to showing hospitality to a guest because who cares if they're not comfortable for an hour? They can be uncomfortable for an hour and a half while they're here. But do you know that people have said that about some of the changes that we've made right here? (laughs) Yeah, I can believe it. I'm just talking about basic hospitality, creating the kind of warm and welcoming atmosphere that says we're expecting you to come and be our guest and we want you to be here. Romans chapter 15 verse 7 says, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. All we ought to do is extend the same welcome to our guest as God has extended to us wow. That's pretty simple, isn't it? (laughs) Because it brings God glory. So how do we do that? Well, there's a couple thoughts. I think every Sunday we go out of our way to make an intentional effort to greet and to say hello to people, especially if we don't know them. I mean, you, you, you think about how things have changed here over the last year, year and a half, and you think about that there are some folks that you see them here at church, but if you saw them out in the community, you'd probably turn. If you saw them at the IGA, you'd turn and go down, and go the other way, because you don't know their name, right? you, you never bothered to introduce yourself, folks. That, that's real easily taken care of. When you see someone you don't know, smile and introduce yourself. Now you don't have to say, "Are you new here?" Because you know they're going to go. Oh, I've, I've been coming for a year. Where you been? Are you new? But you can say this, I don't think we've ever met. I'm Scott. How about that? Easy to do. Uh, You know, if I'm bringing a guest with me, I hope that when they walk in that they're going to see friendly smiles and meet friendly people who make them feel warm and welcomed and invited. I mean, it's already weird enough to go into a place you've never been before, particularly a church. It's already strange enough and they feel out of place. A smile and a hello goes a long way. So we're going to practice. You've got to do something crazy, right? Here's what we're going to do. You've got one minute. Now, we're used to saying hello to people we do know. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to find somebody you don't know. And I want you to put the biggest smile on your face that you can, that you can work up at, at, at 11 o'clock in the morning. And I want you to introduce yourself to them and tell them you're glad they're here. All right? You've got one minute. Go. Go. All right. All right. You need to be making your way back to your seat. I probably lost all hope of getting this back under control. All right. Okay, some of you have carried this a little too far. There's a fine line between a warm welcome and stalking. Now, we need to put that into practice every Sunday. Now, now let me tell you this. We've got to tweak it a little bit because I saw some of you greeting people that I know you know. <laughs> you can't even follow a simple instruction for 60 seconds fix it. But don't, don't let somebody pass you by that you don't know without saying, hey, we've never met. I'm Scott. How are you doing today? Glad you're here. Make people feel welcome. And on the Sundays when, when you're not bringing a guest with you, why don't you show up early and help us, help us create a place, an atmosphere of welcoming? I mean, nobody can get somebody to come with them every week, so Maybe you could just show up a half hour or an hour early and, and help with things. Everything that happens here happens because volunteers do it. Folks, that's how the coffee gets made and the, and the snacks get put out. And, and that's how people get greeted and shown, shown to their seats. That's how, that's how new people find their way around. That's how you know, mints get in the bathroom and we make sure we have soap and paper towel and, and paper supplies in there. Because a volunteer does it, that's how our children get taken care of, our our, our 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 young babies in the nursery. Because a volunteer does it. So on the back of your connect card, there's a box that says, I'd, "I'd just like to know more about." Down at the bottom of that box, it says, "Serving as a volunteer." You check that box, and we will find a way to get you involved. We will find a way for you to help us welcome our guests and make them feel at home. God is glorified when we welcome one another. When we create an atmosphere of welcome and warmth, it's an investment worth making. There's one more investment worth making. Pray for your unchurched friends. Pray for your unchurched friends. There, there are some things that I know that I'm convinced of. And one is that there is great power in prayer. And the second one is that most of us underestimate the spiritual power that comes when we pray for someone else. And the third is this. If you're here this morning as someone who has trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, it's because somebody, somewhere, sometime, prayed for you. They prayed for your life's journey. They prayed for you to find faith in Jesus. They prayed for your eternity to be secured in heaven. And so I'm wondering, who are you praying for? Who are we praying for? People prayed for me. They prayed for you. Who are we praying for? Three weeks ago, we began to hand these out. They've been in the bulletin three different times. If you don't have one, you should. It's just a little card that says invest and invite at the top of it. Do you have one? Let me see it if you've got one. If you don't have one, there are probably some extras around We began to challenge you three weeks ago, develop a prayer list of people around you who are not yet Christians. In particular, the challenge is to find three people who are not believers yet and begin to pray for them. It is not hard to do. According to to research, only one out of six people we know shares our faith in an active way. That means in any group of six people that we know, five of them we can pray for. And let me say this about this list. I think it's good to pray for anybody who's not a Christian. But we need to make our top three people who are right here in our community into whose lives we can invest, into into whose lives we can pour ourselves and who we can invite to be here. I am all for praying for people who live around the world, who live in another part of the country, but you make that person number four. And let the top three on your list be people who live in this community that you can influence and invest your life in, and they would have an opportunity to come with you. Paul told Timothy this, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He said, you got to make a priority out of praying for others. He said that in verse 1, I urge you first of all to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. To intercede means to plead or to beg on their behalf and give thanks for them. And he goes on to say in verse 3, this about praying for others. He says, "Praying for others is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth." Fill out those cards, carry them with you. Pray for the people you've written down, and we'll pray for them here as well. We've got just a few minutes left this morning. I want to shift gears and talk about three invitations worth extending, because you see, as we make these investments in people. We're doing that with a purpose. We're doing that for a purpose. It's not a random investment. It's an intentional investment. What we're hoping is that as we, as we serve them and as we pray for them and as, as we welcome them into our lives and invest ourselves in their lives, that it will open the doors of conversation. That it will open the doors of their heart and they'll say, why are you doing this? Why do you serve people this way? Why do you show kindness to others? Why are you doing this? And when they do that, we need to be ready to issue an invitation. We need to be ready to say, hey, I know a place full of people who love others and care for others and want to serve other people. Why don't you come with me? Why don't you come check it out? Now, we invest in the lives of others whether they respond or not. It's an open investment with no strings attached. But if somebody says, tell me more, we need to be ready to extend some invitations. Here's the first invitation worth extending. Invite them to a jubilee event. We live in an event-driven culture. People are always looking for something to do. I'll bet more people are looking for something to do than they're looking to go to church. Wouldn't you think? So we've got our Super Bowl party coming up in a couple of weeks. and We're hoping our Colts will be there. I don't really care who the other team is. Just hope my Colts are there. We have chili suppers and fish fries. We've got our Easter egg drop coming April the 3rd. And there will be over 1,000 people at that egg drop. Invite your friends to come be part of that, to bring their kids, their grandkids. Our big 4th of July party coming this summer. We, we had a very successful porcupine after dark, a kind of a coffee house environment a couple weeks ago. We're going to do that again in the future. And we have events like this from time to time to provide opportunities for your friends to come and get a taste of what we're all about. In a, in a non-threatening environment, and in a, in a friendship type environment, to come and get a taste of what we're all about. Psalm 34 verse 8 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him. An event is kind of like a taste of the church. You can bring your friends and they get a taste of what Jubilee is about. It's easy to do. Just invite your friends to come to something that we do here at Jubilee. It's an, inv- it's a, an invitation worth extending. When the next one goes just a little bit deeper. Invite your friends to church with you. Now, this is where we get all scared. Right? We're okay praying for people. They never have to know about that, right? And, and we really, we don't mind too much inviting them to a fish fry, but invite them to church? Well, I couldn't do that. Why not? Did you know that research tells us, studies show that about 50% of our friends who are not Christians yet would say yes to an invitation the first time it is extended? What can they say? They either say, yeah, I'll come with you, or no, I don't think so. They're not going to stab you. Okay? They're not going to knock you down and steal your lunch money. They're either going to say, yeah, I'll come, or no, I won't. you got a 50-50 shot. And if we're making the investments in their lives that we've been talking about, the numbers go even higher. Did you know that 90% of our first-time guests come because someone invited them? They don't come because of a newspaper invitation or a flyer. They don't come because of any other reason than someone else invited them. It's God's way of growing the church. Friend-to-friend invitation has always been the way God has grown the church going back to the earliest days of the church's existence. My goal for Jubilee is for us to be a New Testament church. I mean, we're trying to have a New Testament church structure. We're trying to have New Testament church leadership. We're trying to to, to be a church that has the focus of the New Testament. That's what we want to be. But there's one mark of a New Testament church that we haven't hit yet. We've got to work on a little bit. It's found in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, where it says this, And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's what we're saying again. Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You know what that means? at least one person every day was getting saved because of the ministry of that church. What if we became that kind of New Testament church? I I started a couple days ago to begin to pray that way. Lord, just let us be the kind of place where every day somebody gets saved because of the ministry of this church. Lord, let us be the kind of church that... By February 2011, 365 people have come to place faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Now, some of you go, you are crazy. That can't, that's not going to happen. I mean, aren't you afraid to pray like that, knowing that that it's probably not going to happen? Well, yeah, honestly, I am. But I know one thing. I know if I don't pray for that and I don't work to that end, we don't have a chance of it happening. And I know something else. I can't do it by myself. Hey, you can't do it by yourself either. But if that, again, if that piques your interest, if if you would be willing to pray with me about the idea of people being saved every day because of the ministry of this church, then you just write pray on the back of your Connect card. And, 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 And we'll get to... We'll get in touch and, and, and we'll start praying together that God will make us into the kind of church where somebody gets saved every day. Where somebody's coming to faith in Jesus because of the ministry of this church. There's one more invitation worth extending. We're almost done. Invite your friends to share your faith in Christ. That's the goal of invest and invite. Your unbelieving friends, your unchurched friends, becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's the goal, to see people come to faith in Christ. Every day we have an opportunity to share our faith. We we have the cure, remember? Every day we get to be a voice of truth in the midst of a world that tells us all kinds of lies. We get to share God's way, God's plan, God's truth. People say, well, my life is so messed up, it's it's worthless. And that's where we get to step up and say, no, 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 God has a purpose for your life. God has a plan for your life. People say, well, you know what? I I mean, I've got all this stuff, and, and I do all this stuff, and I'm into all these things, and I still feel empty inside. That's where we get to step up and say, that's because that's not God's best for you. He's got something so much better, so much more fulfilling, so much more liberating than whatever it is you're chasing, trying to find freedom in life. People don't know where they're going and they don't know how they're going to get there and we have the chance to give them the cure. What will we do? It's tough for us. I mean, serving others, praying for others, those can sometimes be intimidating, but they're not as hard as sharing our faith, as opening our mouth and sharing our faith with someone because we've got some erroneous ideas. We think we've got to have all this technical Bible knowledge, right? We think we've got to know, uh, uh, memorize all these scriptures. Well, I'm going to tell you the truth is we just need to be able to tell what Jesus has done for us. You just need to be able to say, this is what Jesus has done in my life. You want an outline to follow? I'll give you one from an old song that just about everybody knows. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Can't you frame your story that way? Can't you say, this is where I was. This is where I was going. This is what was going on in my life. And I was miserable. I was lost. I was without direction. I was without hope. And then... Jesus came into my life. It's as simple as telling what Jesus has done for us. We want to help you do that. If you'll write the word share on your connect card, we'll put some, some information in your hands that will help you put your testimony together in a way that you can share it with anybody. See, every one of us ought to have a 60-second testimony, an elevator ride testimony, seriously, that we can share with somebody in just a a minute or two. Yeah, there's the longer version when you know someone a little better and the situation is right and the timing is right to speak a little bit more into their lives, but all of us ought to be able to share the basics of what Jesus has done for us. We want to put that information in your hand, just write share on the back of your Connect card. And I want to close this morning with a behind-the-scenes look that shows us something powerful about invest and invite. The apostle Peter, mighty Peter, stood up on the day of Pentecost, the, the birthday of the brand new church, and he preached a powerful sermon about Jesus. And the Bible tells us that 3,000 people got saved. 3,000 people. It's amazing. But do you know how Peter first heard about Jesus. He heard about Jesus through someone who came and invited him to come and see Jesus. It was his brother, Andrew. In those days, Peter was known as Simon. Next week, we're going to talk about name changes and about how God changes names because of things that change in our lives, because of purpose and outlook and, and vision that change. Peter's name got changed, his name was Simon at that time. And his brother was Andrew. And Andrew actually met Jesus first. And he was so excited. He was so so pumped up about what he had learned that he went and found his brother. And he said, you have got to come and meet this man. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And John chapter 1 verse 42 says, Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. And that's how it all started. You know, I'll bet every one of those 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost were glad that Andrew practiced invest and invite. I'll bet the thousands of people who were Influenced and touched by the ministry of the apostle Peter, he planted churches all over the Middle East. He died as a martyr, crucified upside down because he didn't feel like he was worthy to be killed in the same way his Savior had been killed. I'll bet those people are glad that Andrew practiced invest in invite. We don't hear very much about Andrew in the pages of Scripture. Really, truthfully, after that incident. He only shows up another time or two, and yet what He did has eternal ramifications that reach even to us today. That's the power of investing and inviting. God used Andrew to bring Simon to Jesus, and He wants to, bring, he wants to use you and me to bring our friends to Jesus as well. All we have to do is be willing to be used, to be dangerous, to invest and invite. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.